I said at the very beginning on the first message when we, when we first did uh, started John 7, that if I wasn't careful, we would see it as an itinerary of travel plans and miss the drama. The ending here to John 7 is very similar. We could very easily miss the drama. Yes, there's words like arrest. There's words like... Um, um, or there's confrontations between the Pharisees. There's things in it. But really, there's not any... Jesus doesn't speak here. So those are less important, right? Okay, soapbox moment. Ready for it? Words in red. I like them. They help me identify. But they're no more different. They're all the Word of God. Okay, everything in here. That's right, off of it already. Look how fast that was. So... <laughs> But we could really be, if we're not careful, we could really mistake and not see that there is a major piece of drama. There is a pivot on which we will stand or we will die. In the, on your bulletin, if you have it, I wrote the great divide. And I changed that because he's not a, he, he, there is a division caused by Jesus, and we'll look at that in a moment. But he is not a divider for us. We have a divider called sin already. He is the pivot point by which our lives are, 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 are lived out. So let's read verses 40 through 52 real quick. And they're not on the screen. Um, They will be as we go through them. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that David... Skip ahead. Has the scripture not... Has the scripture said... La-da-da. Let's start in 42 again. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David... And comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was. So there was a vision among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees and said to them, Why did you not bring him? Lost my place. The officers, thank you. The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law uh, judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Father God, add your blessing to your word and it only be about you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is at the festival of the booths, the feast of the booths. He's standing here again, um, as we have looked at contextually. We don't see him here at this passage. We hear about him. But he has stood up in the temple in the midst of this feast and he spoke. People were amazed. What is he talking about? He's not even a trained rabbi, right? And then, but the Jews were looking to arrest him even then. And once again, we're speaking of it here. We spoke of it in between the passages there. But here, I want us to see once again verses 37 and 38 real quick because Jesus says something amazing. He says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus said, If there's anyone out there and you are thirsty, if there's anyone out there and you have need, if you need the, the sensation and the, 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 the satisfaction and the satiation that only can come by me, by the Father God, through me, because you are created to have it, here I am. Come take it and believe. He says, it's free. 
You don't have to do anything to earn it. It's simply about belief. Now, belief, let's be honest, we all know that belief is not so super simple, but he's saying, come and believe, come and drink. It's here for you. This is where Jesus has once again put himself out there as being more than a mere man in the midst of people who want him dead and want him arrested. Once again, as we go back, he says, we know that as we go back and look, it's all about this, this, this moment where John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God. They started watching, they're paying attention, they're following. He heals somebody on the Sabbath. We're done! Time to kill him. Jesus keeps talking. He keeps teaching. So that's our context. That's where we are. So the Pharisees are meeting and they're arguing and they're bickering and they're fighting and they're discussing Jesus. What I'm so grateful for as we get into this passage is that I was sidestruck by God. He was, it was a, a slap in the face of going, don't miss my word. Don't miss my word. And we're going to offer this morning once again the gospel out of this passage. Verse 40 says, when they heard these words, some people said this really is the prophet. Um, just in context of why that is, in the first, some of the first century Judaistic people in the time of Jesus were fighting with, amongst themselves about what the prophecies were actually teaching. Some were teaching that, there is, that, that, that when the prophesied portions that say the word prophet and the prophesied portions that say the word Messiah are different people. Now, there is a portion where there is a different person where John the Baptist is prophesied, but his is pretty obvious when you read it. See, they didn't read it and understand that the word that we're looking at is the same person. We're looking at Messiah, the prophet. It's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. So what happens is they begin to bicker and verse 41 says, others said, this is the Christ, but some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? See, many of them didn't even know Jesus was born in Bethlehem. See, that would have helped. Jesus should have promoted a little better, right? He should, like he, had a, he should have had a WWE entrance song. And he comes in, hailing from Bethlehem, weighing in at nearly 400 pounds. Uh, you know, whatever. Um, Jesus of Nazareth, right? He didn't do that. He wasn't emotions. About being famous. It wasn't about being seen. He was about his father's kingdom. So they're fighting. That's what that, that's what that verse is all about. They like, we're like, wait a minute. He was born in Bethlehem. Why is it so hard? We get to cheat. Somebody wrote a record for us to read. We've got a history book. Helps us out. So they had no idea. So then the bickering is even worse. What are we doing? And here's verse 43. Verse 43 says, So there was a division among the people over him. Uh, there was a division among the people over him, over Jesus. He is a division causer. He is a splintering faction to the world. Now, in, I don't know about in the schools right around here, but I know in um, most school systems nowadays, and definitely on the college level, we don't, you no longer see the letters such and such a year, B.C. and A.D. You see B.C.E. and C.E. So it's 
before Common Era and Common Era. I don't care if they call it supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. There's a division line that happened, guys. And there's only one thing we can ever testify to history that made it happen. And let's just be honest. There's a guy named Jesus was born. And his ministry started. And all of a sudden, time changed. That's nuts. It's nuts to think about even when you talk about Jesus. When I think about God who created those trees out there that I can't knock over with my hands. And they're huge and they can burn fire and we can turn it into fuel and we can turn it into all these things. He created it simply for his glory and then for our use eventually. And for all this amazing thing he did, even for God to have stepped into humanity and time change because of it is amazing. But nobody can argue that. Nobody, I don't care where they stand, where, nobody can argue that Jesus is the reason. They can, they've come up with some. And you read them and go, okay. Still didn't answer it. Still doesn't make sense. He's a divider. So if he can divide time, he's going to divide people. Once again, I said, some say he was a prophet. Some say he was a messiah. Some say he's a nobody. Some say he's just a guy that stands up and runs his mouth. I said, uh, I said to people, and you've probably all heard it too, because, you know, pastors, once, once somebody does a good job saying something, we're going to use it. We're all going to use it. But you're going to make Jesus one of three things. A Lord, he's either Lord, he's a lunatic, or he's a liar. Okay, that's, that's it. This is basically the same concept. Now they're trying, some of them are trying to say, but he could be the prophet. Maybe we just should listen. Some are saying, no, this is the Messiah. They're somehow gaining true belief in this. And then most are saying, nope. He's a lunatic and a liar. And we want to kill him. So the chief priests and the Pharisees, they sent officers to arrest him. Verse 44 says, some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. It's amazing. It's amazing. Because if they want to arrest me today, I'm pretty sure they'll find a way. And they're not going to really let me fight. Which Jesus didn't either, which is even more amazing. Verse 45, the officers came to the chief priest and the Pharisees who said to them, uh, we sent you to do a job. Where is he? Why did you not bring him here? Why did you, why do you not have him if I'm, I'm at work and I, if I'm working at, the, at, the, uh, at one of the schools and I say to the class, um, your teacher left this assignment for you today. You're going to complete it in class. You have plenty of time to complete it. At the end of class period, you are to turn it in to me. If you do not, your teacher said it's a zero. See, I try to be kind to those students. And I go, dude, for real, you're going to get a zero. Like, give it to me. It's not that big a deal. Who, who cares if you only got half of it done? That's a 50. Like, if nothing else, don't get a zero. So I'm begging them, right? At the restaurant, if I tell somebody, cook fries, and I turn around and look, and they don't cook fries, I don't go, where are the fries? <laughs> the Pharisees didn't go, where is he? Why do you, where is he? I can't find him. <laughs> They're not nice about it. They're going, we gave you a job, and you are failing. Where is he? And they could have come up with answers. They needed an answer. They could have said, well, we were afraid of the crowd. They could have said that. They'd have probably gotten away with it. Well, you see, the situation was kind of hectic and messy, and it was kind of a, you know, a lot of people around, and we just didn't want to cause a scene, which we're talking about the Pharisees here. They like causing scenes. They could have said, well, he had people around him protecting him. They could have come up with something, right? You, 
Our kids come up with stuff. Don't they? Well, you see, what happened was, Johnny down the road, he, he was rolling balls in the street, and then we all rolled them, so we all went in the gutter. What? We all went down the sewer pipe for fun. What? what? You know, right? Kids can come up with stories. These guys could have come up with stories. But they, but, but they couldn't. But they couldn't. And they couldn't because of what the words of 46 said. Because what happened was, they got too close. They started hearing him. See, even for folks who don't know Christ today and who may never know Christ, they hear his words and it affects them. It makes a difference because he says that nothing in his word will ever come back vain. Here's what happens. Some of them were changed by him and some of them were challenged by him like no one else in the world. Verse 46 through 48 says, The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. And the Pharisees said, well, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or Pharisees believed in him? Panic, right? We must shut his mouth. We've got to shut him up, they said. What are you talking about? You guys are falling for this junk? You guys are believing this? Then verse 49, they said, but this crowd does not ha- know the law, but this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. So these Pharisees said, if you're considering Jesus being real, you're just being deceived. But those of you who have studied the law, or have not studied the law, and don't understand it, these folks that are out here, we can't really blame them for being deceived because they're also accursed. See, that's what they're trying to get across. But the real point here is, is, is so different from that. The real thing here is that these Pharisees, and John's trying to point this out to us, they had begun to worship the letters inside the law. Not begun to, they've been doing it for a long time. They had begun to worship themselves, applicated onto the law. They had placed themselves higher than the law. They'd begun to self-worship and worship one another in that room and in that group. So the truth is, they're the ones who are deceived and accursed of their own sin. Now, far be it from me to act like I'm any different. Because but for God's grace and but for salvation, I'm deceived and accursed by my own sin. As are you. And every day when I wake up, and this isn't my vision, the kingdom focus is not what I'm doing, and I'm not Christ first centered, and my eyes aren't looking at people the way Christ does, and I'm not concerned about their souls, and I'm concerned about, well, I got mud on my shoes today. I was very angry when I got here because I stepped in mud. Isn't that stupid? I wiped it off with a paper towel, and it's fine. But I threw a fit in the parking lot first. I mean, it wasn't a fit, really. Like a four-year-old, I didn't like scream and yell, but I was mad. I was stomping my foot trying to get it off. Why? Because I, my focus was on something stupid. I'm not saying we should go jump in mud and be like, hey, Jesus made mud, so we're jumping in. I'm not saying that, but we do it at our house sometimes. But, see, we're deceived and we're accursed because of our sin. And that's where these Pharisees are, but they're trying to put it on everybody else. Why? Because Jesus is a pivot point. Nicodemus, if you remember Nicodemus from, from chapter 3 when we studied him, he snuck over to Jesus at night. My, my belief system tells me, and as later in Scripture we know, that Nicodemus is, is, is a true believer. I don't know if he is at this, this point, if he's really bought in fully, but he's at least um, on that way. And 
he's looking into Jesus as being more than, um, more than, more than uh, just a guy, a lunatic and a liar that's out there yelling. Nicodemus says, starting in verse 50, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? <laughs> Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Let's ask some questions here. Let's see what's going on here. We have a process. Nicodemus's point is we have a process by which we can figure this out. Let's figure out Jesus. Let's follow our own standard operating procedure. We have a protocol in place. Let's do it. Let's put him on trial. Let's at least hear him out. Now there's twofold here. Nicodemus might just be an upstanding man that says, let's do what's right. Guys, chill out. Let's do what's right. Let's not, be the, let's not have lynch mob mentality. Let's not be rioters and crazies. Let's do what's right. His other, pro, his other part is, if they could just hear him speak, if they would give him time to listen. I went to him and listened to him. You don't have no... You have, maybe that's Nicodemus' mindset too. Let's be honest. When you hear Jesus for the first time, that's our mindset. When we hear him every single day and we hear him every single part of our lives, we should have that mindset of if other people could just hear him. But what happens to the Pharisees? Is like, what, are you on his team? Are you with him? Are you pulling for the Patriots? No, um, that has nothing to do with that. Um, he says, what are you doing? You're biased. Why are you biased, Nicodemus? Why do you have this? Aren't you one of us? Aren't we more important than them? Aren't we more important than him? John makes a point one more time. The Pharisees are the ones that are biased. The Pharisees are the worst mean girl clique in high school. Everybody knows who those are. Y'all knew them when y'all was in high school. They're the worst bully that are in high school. They're the worst of the worst. Whatever bothered you, they were the worst of it. They were biased. See, John here is saying that they are deceived, they are cursed. They are biased. These Pharisees have never even heard Jesus. So as we quickly could, we could, we could go through that passage right now and be like, hey, nothing's there. That's it, right? We still can learn some stuff. But there is something. There's a hinge. There's a pivot point in this passage, and it's two verses. Verse 43 says, There was a division among the people over him. And verse 46 says, No one ever spoke like this man. Indeed, no one ever spoke quite like Jesus. Jesus is the Christ and he splits humanity. Period. No one ever spoke like this man. When Jesus was 40 days old, he was taken to see Simeon in the temple. Here's the words that Simeon said. Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. Nowadays we go, oh, they're so cute, which we should, right? We're so cute. Look at them. We're going to do, maybe he's going to be a doctor. Or as the comedian I've shown you guys a couple times, Michael Jr.'s son told him he was going to be a doctor or a dinosaur. <laughs> right? No, no, Simeon said, oh, Oh, Mary, Joseph, do you know? He's going to be. 
He's going to be the dividing point of the whole world. But he's also going to be the restoration and the redemption of it all too. Those are major words. Why is that so important? Because with a relationship with Jesus and with hearing his words, neutrality is impossible with Jesus. Neutrality is impossible with Jesus. It is impossible to get a teeter-totter to sit straight and perfect and it never move without welding. Well, maybe you weld it or you cheat. But the slightest things, because it's on that pivot, it's going to move. It's going to move. I set a tetherball pole up in the, in the yard over here and we don't touch it for two weeks, it's going to end up wrapped around the pole a couple times. Why? It's on a pivot. It's going to get blown. It's going to get moved. A pivot causes movement. Neutrality is impossible with Jesus. So when, when I talk to people and they have neutral positions on things that are biblical, I go, you can't be neutral on these things. It's not possible if you believe in the Jesus that this Bible tells about. It's possible if we believe in the Jesus of the American dream. It's possible if we believe in the Jesus of health, wealth, and prosperity. It's possible to believe in the, well, if I have enough faith, Jesus. No, but if we believe in the Jesus of this Testament right here, of this, of this New Testament and this Old Testament, of this promise and this covenant of God, if you believe in this at all, neutrality is not, is not, is not possible. And if you don't, neutrality is not possible. You cannot err with Jesus on some things and not with him on other things. In the Old Testament, it said if one portion of the law you've broken, you've broken the entirety of the law. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. I asked the kids, this, is, this we know is a sin, X is a sin, what is worse? What would come under that sin? Maybe not so important of a sin. I got some answers. I said, nope, wrong. Nothing is worse than X. They're, they're sin, period. God doesn't see a difference. If he doesn't see a difference in our sin, then how can he see a difference in things that his word talks about? Let's give you one. I'm going to give you one right now because I'm just fired up about it because I've been reading too much about it. The sanctity of life. You can't tell me that it's okay for somebody to choose death over, over life that God created, no one else created. I don't care how it got here. I don't care what the circumstances are that God created it and he controls it, but we should be able to choose life or death over it and you go out and vote for somebody who's choosing to keep that in, in practice. I tell you, you're sinning. This is not a political day. This is just a statement for me to make that makes the point. There is no neutrality. You stand on one side or you stand on the other in everything in life. Life is not gray. Now, with that said, we've, we've had people who have added to this word in legalism and things that they have put in here. I've admitted plenty of times I grew up completely confused about the Bible, completely confused about grace, completely confused about love. I had no understanding of it when I watched a woman get told to leave my church because she was wearing pants and said amen. See, that's not the Jesus that I see. That's the Pharisees I see, but that's not the Jesus that I see. There's no neutrality. We can't add to the Bible. We can't make up our own rules. I was asked by the Southern Baptist Convention when I took this job, well, actually when I took one before this, they were told me, make sure now as pastors we have an agreement that you're not going to drink beer or any alcohol. Well, then I won't be Southern Baptist. I said, I don't necessarily drink, but Scripture doesn't say I can't have. Oh, I just shocked everybody, didn't I? Whoa, wait a minute. What did he say? I'm leaving here. Hey, you show me in Scripture, I'll agree with you. It does say don't get drunk. It does say if it's a control issue in your life, don't touch it. It says if you can't handle one, but it also tells me not to be fat and be a glutton. But we got a lot of fat preachers out there. 
Hold on, I gotta get back to the message. So today in this world, Jesus is still splintering. He's pushing us, he's polarizing. See, you either love Jesus and you hate or you hate Jesus. Very few have no opinion. Very few people you will meet have no opinion. You'll meet some people that have like a wishy-washy opinion. We'll meet people that say, well, I'm a Christian, but. Or I'm, I'm Hindu. I got a friend that's Hindu. But he loves Jesus. He loves the teachings of Jesus. And that's okay. He's well, I'm Hindu and I'm only, really I'm a Vishnu guy, right? But Jesus is cool. You'll find some of that. But if it came down to the bottom line, are we going to line Jesus up to your religion, to your money, to your home structure, to your parenting, to your children? What if he wants to take one of them away from you? To your um, X, Y, Z. You name it. You have it in your heart and in your mind what it is that you're not willing to fight with Jesus over. And so either at that moment, you either love or you hate Jesus, period. If you have a different idea, you can come at me with it. We can talk about it. There's no neutrality. It's impossible. Jesus stood in the middle of the, of the booths, in the middle of the thing, in the middle of the festivity with the biggest point. And he says, if you are thirsty, come to me. All this other stuff is not getting you anywhere. I've got eternal life. See, there was other people who spoke with loud voices and, and came and talked and they heard messages they didn't understand, John the Baptist being one, but never had someone talked with such authority and meekness in the same sentence. Such power and such gentleness. Such intense, pro, uh, uh, pro, uh, prophetically intense and yet graciously concerned for the people he's speaking to. No one had ever done it. No one had ever stood there and said, I am the Son of God and could prove it and could back up his words. They went to get him, but couldn't lay hands on him. It wasn't just his teaching. It wasn't God's time yet. Ever since the wedding at Cana, John 2, we see that he clears the temple. He says he is the temple, essentially saying, I am God. John chapter 3, he talks to Nicodemus, tells him the law is incomplete and it's lacking, so you must be born again into me. John 3 again, I am the light of the world. I am the light and and the world is darkness and I'm trying to shine that out. Essentially, once again, I am God. John 4, I'm the living water, believe in me for eternal life. You remember that lady at the well? That's her. John 4 again, he says to the man whose son is dying, go, your son will live. Nobody did that before. They might have, but people died. John 5, here we are, John 5 at the the pool. Get up, take your bed, and walk. Later in chapter 5, he says that God, the Father, is my Father. He claims to have all authority from God there in John chapter 5. John chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. The bread that Moses gave you was temporary. Mine is not. And in verse seven, or chapter 7 here, he says, if anyone thirsts. And as we continue through the book of John, we're going to see Jesus continues to do this. No one talks like this. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, says this. So he talks about Jesus. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg, or, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. 
But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. That's a message in itself. If he's not God, then he's not a good moral teacher. If he's not God, he's not a nice guy. If he's not God, he's crazy. He needs to be stopped. If he's not God, we should walk away from him. I.e., people like Charles Manson. We can easily see it. Jim Jones, right? We, we joke nowadays, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Ha, ha, ha. That ain't funny. Hundreds of people died. <laughs> don't tell me that, because I'm just going to hold on now. I'm not. People died. That's not funny. David Koresh. Tells people, make, oh, he's Jesus, and they followed him. Because they didn't know the real Jesus. See, they heard about things about Jesus. They wanted to believe in Jesus, but they didn't know the real Jesus. See, he's not a prophet. He's not a teacher. He is God. He is Messiah. We either believe in him or we don't. He's a pivot point. We couldn't touch him because we never heard someone speak this way. It's because they'd never encountered God before. And so today, for those of us who are in here, if you're, if you're outside of this relationship with Christ, if you don't know Him as your Savior, you're not sure what the belief system is, you're not sure if you believe in this, or you're right now saying, you know what, I don't. That's okay, I'm glad you're here. Good morning, I love you. I pray that you seek to understand who He is. Because He's the Christ that would save us and redeem us. I pray and ask Jesus that he'd reveal himself to you through passages of scripture that we read. Through singing and through our mindset toward one another and our attitude toward each other. Even through me ranting and getting hot on some topics and some subjects, I just, we have to make it so clear that Jesus is not to be synchronized or mixed into a bag of nuts with everybody else. I love cashews. Don't buy me mixed nuts. Jesus. He walked into humanity and changed it. And the condition of all humans are in need of him. And so if you don't know him today, you're not sitting close to the middle. You're not straddling a fence. You hate him. That's what the Bible says. I hate saying words like this. I hate messages like this. I do. They're hard. Can I confess to you this morning? I didn't want to be here today. I wanted to see somebody else preach this. I think we have to go through this passage. I didn't want to do it. I struggled this morning not getting here. I was coming. I just struggled. God, I need my mindset right. Right before service, I walked out in the hallway because I just had to shake my head off. I just had to, I had to just, 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 just to get my head going again. Because this is hard. And, it's, and it can be frustrating as a believer, let alone as a non-believer. It's not hate speech. It's not angry speech. It's absolute grace and love. Because what happens is when we love Him and we know we love Him, we understand how He loves us and we, we get all the grace and forgiveness piled on us. But there's no middle ground. There's not. If the same God can divide time by his presence on this earth, then he divides our, our hearts straight down the middle between love and hate. And me saying that certain things are sin because the Bible says them 
is not hate. It's not hate. It's hard. It's not tough love either, which people try to teach it is. No, it's doing the best you can to love like Jesus. But when he says it's a sin, it's a sin. When he says we're sinners, we're sinners. So if you're here and you don't get that point, then you and I, in our sinful states, we're no different from the men, mad men and lunatics that we do know about. Recently, we got guys like Coney over in Africa kidnapping the kids and turning them into soldiers. And we got the, the, the cartel in North Mexico that is kidnapping kids off, on school buses. And when the authorities got close to them, recently drove them out to the desert in Chihuahua and murdered them all, 44 children. Mostly teenagers. See, Jesus is either Lord or he's one of these guys. Is he Bin Laden? Is he Hitler? We are. Sin makes us equal with them. And until we recognize that, we won't ever understand that there is no pivot point. There's a pivot point and we can't teeter back and forth on which side we like better. We can't ubiquitously draw a line of what is sin and what is not and go, well, I know for um, uh, Carl across the street that this is a sin to him, but to me it's not, so I'm just going to do it. That's not, that's, the Bible's not like that. Now, there are things that some of us shouldn't do. I shouldn't eat baked potatoes. No, I'm just kidding about that one. But I shouldn't do, there are things that I shouldn't do because it's bad for me on a, on a different level because I'm not going to find God with what he has created me to be. Like if someone has a problem with alcohol, they should never touch it again because it can control them. But sin is sin. But Jesus came and he lived perfectly and he died perfectly and he, and he rose perfectly and he's granted us forgiveness. Forgiveness, Hebrews 9, 12 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There's no forgiveness of sin, but he did those things. And so if you're here today and you're like, I don't know, I'm telling you, you can know him because he did this. And if you are here today and you say, I'm believing, I got it, I know him, I have this relationship, I'm excited about this relationship, then you better keep believing it. Better start making sure you know the real Jesus. Because we can believe fully and still not really glorify God with our lives. I know the real Jesus all the way. I've studied this book for the better part now of 13 years. Seven of those in school, six of those in school. And I still don't get it. Some of you have studied it for a lot longer than that. My dad never went to school. He preached everything in the Bible probably better than I can. He wouldn't because he gets nervous. But he could. He still doesn't get it. Because we still can't get it all. The Apostle Paul says, I still don't have it. I still have to strive to reach it. Believers today, that's where we need to be. We still need to see him as bread that we have to eat. We still need to see him as a drink to quench our thirst, to give us that spiritual fulfillment every day. So either way we are today as people who aren't in with the believers and those of us who are, there's a pivot point where repentance is needed in our lives. We either fully love him or we hate him fully can't ride up and down. 
You ever get on a seesaw and try to sit in the middle? Kids do it at the playgrounds, right? They don't have a lot of fun in that spot. They just go like this. They laugh because they're sitting in the middle. And they're kids and they're, you know, weird. But, they have a lot of fun. The Christian life is no fun in the middle. Because if you say you believe him and you sit in the middle, you're going to live in constant guilt and fear of are you sure you believe him? Constant guilt of your sin. If you do really believe him, you're going to have constant guilt. If you're non-believer and you're sitting in the middle, you have nothing but you're going to hell. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I wish it was different. It's not. That's what the Bible says. 